How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast. Sort of. Featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is... I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. This is episode number 29 for us, so we're almost on episode 30. And first up, our throwback baseball stat of the week on August 9th, 1958. Chicago White Sox catcher Sherm Lohler. He went 3 of 5, had a home run, 6 driven in to help his team beat the Tigers 9 to 3. He went on to be an all-star that season with an 821 OPS, over 20 home runs, and over 80 runs driven in. And as we introduce what we're drinking today, I think this kind of all ties into a pertinent question. Um, There's actually an article about this on justbaseball.com about the investment typically not being worth it in fantasy baseball with catchers. So uh, to counteract that, should we have two catcher leagues? What are you drinking to get today and thoughts on that question? Yeah, Derek, uh, obviously, you know, it is kind of one of those things where if you want to have a very diverse fantasy league, having a two-catcher league, man, that and you bring up the stat. I mean, some catchers can be incredibly productive. I mean, they're they're out there for a reason. You have guys in this league like JT Realmuto that uh, consistently produces. You can see Eric Casey real, realistically probably won't keep this up, but he's been pretty decent over the last couple of weeks with the Tigers. Uh, you got the Will Smiths, the Salvador Perez's of the world. But then you have a lot that are obviously not on, you know, the top of the radar. So, unfortunately, it's just kind of scratching the surface. I'm not a big fan of two-catcher leagues. Uh, and uh, what I'm drinking, it's not anything uh, particularly special. Uh, the time that we're recording this, we are recording this uh, on the final day of the Olympics. And uh, let me tell you, as uh, somebody that's covered the Olympics, it's been uh, quite the journey and uh, excited to get back to – to real life again, to reality, because it's been uh, quite the the 16 days of coverage uh, with a 16-hour time difference. So um, similar to a 16-hour time difference, not the most ideal thing. Two-catcher league, not the most ideal thing as well. I'm drinking water today, Derek. What are you drinking? I am drinking Guinness, but not just any Guinness. Ooh. Crack that open. It is a Guinness extra stout, so stoutier than normal on this. I love a stoutier beer. Nice. I, I'm a little jealous right now, actually. Yeah, and good stuff as always. I honestly probably couldn't tell you the difference taste-wise from just the regular Guinness to the Guinness Extra Stout, but that is what I'm drinking today. I actually kind of like the two-catcher league thing. Now, it all depends on your format, right? If you're AL only, NL only league, or if you already have like a 
16 team league or something. You don't need it, but I'm all about trying to make the game as driven as possible around finding, you know, not as, as much about just, well, who got the best first or second round pick also making it about who can find those pickups, who can work the waiver wire and find those secondary role players to make it matter. And, and the more that you're able to unearth that, I think, it just makes it feel more like a research driven and uh, fun transactional process. So I am kind of coming around on this just because of the fact that it allows you to actually have to focus on the catcher position a little more than right now when it is just, you know, here's a couple guys who are really good and then everybody else is either average or just not playing every day or bad. It makes you really have to start thinking through a little more things. If you have a two catcher league, like do you start, um, thinking more about like a guy like Mike Zanino, who's going to tank your average, but he's going to be really good for home runs. You know, one catcher league, if you're only in a 10 or 12 team league, like he's probably not being on anybody's roster, but in a two catcher league, he actually has like value. So I, I just think it adds another wrinkle to the game. I, if you don't want to do one ca- a two catcher league, then I understand. I just like kind of the in-depth nature of it. So uh, that's kind of interesting to me. JT Realmuto, normally, uh, prior to this season, his average draft position, I believe, was in the 50s, I want to say. Maybe like 45 to 50. If you did a two-catcher league, does that mean he's jumping up a couple more rounds? I mean, like, you have to think about that, too. Or or does it mean you sit back? I, I'd be kind of curious to see the difference between the two. You know what I think it is? Because I think in that article, he was you know, it was written by Javier Reyes on Just Baseball. I think the idea is, okay, if he's pre-ranked like 50, in theory, most catcher investments aren't worth where you're buying them. So in theory, if he's ranked 50 in a one-catcher league, really you should probably take him around 70 or 80. But maybe in a two-catcher league, you should just view it as, oh, if he is that high, then that should be the actual value there. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how that is. Also in a keeper league, uh, the value of guys like Adley Rushman or possibly Kibera Ruiz or Joey Bart. I mean, the value of those guys maybe rises as well, just knowing that you could have that long-term investment. I I think their value regardless is still pretty high, but um, yeah, that would be the curious side. I'm not particularly, like I said, I'm not a particularly huge fan of the two catcher league. Um, Derek and I play in a fantasy football league, which we're starting up uh, here pretty quickly as well. And we do a two quarterback league. I love that setup though. So maybe, maybe I would get on board after doing it. I don't know. I think the two quarterback league is interesting because obviously then you have really a limited number of guys that puts up consistent, put up consistent numbers, but uh, catchers, man, I mean, it seems like they turn over just so quickly year in, year out um, that you could have a guy like an Eric Casey that breaks out for one year and it's an easy move. I, I'd be curious. I mean, it really is the most premium position, I would say, though, in, in all of baseball. And, you know, remember back in the day, Derek, uh, back in the good old 2006, 2007 era when we started playing fantasy baseball, it felt like shortstops were at a premium. Now we have plenty of those, and it's just that we don't really have many great catchers. We don't we don't have the Joe Mowers of the world anymore. No, we do not. Um, you know, who could have used a guy like a Salvador Perez, Joe Mauer? I know Salvador Perez isn't American, uh, but the U.S. Olympic team, they lost to Japan in the gold medal championship 2-0, they ended up getting silver, though. Still uh, pretty successful, especially when you consider that pretty much all the players we're sending over are like double-A, triple-A players, basically. Uh, Tristan Casas was unreal. It was cool seeing Scott Kazmir go off. What were your takeaways from this game? Is there anything that you come away from as far as like a uh, player evaluation tool? Because like, like Scott Kazmir, we know what Scott Kazmir is at this point. He's 
36, 37 years old. But is there anybody who you look at and say, man, I'm actually like maybe a lot more interested in this guy now in like a dynasty league or in fantasy baseball? Yeah, Casas was the guy that really broke out uh, in this one. And he he looked like the best player in the entire uh, Olympics as well. So that's really cool. And it, as Derek kind of mentioned, I mean, obviously this is like the USA's uh, – D team, E team, if you will. I mean, none of these guys are actually, you know, active during uh, the major league season. So they have a bunch of prospects, but yeah, you know, it was still a pretty interesting team. You had David Robertson closing out games. Remember that name? I mean, he used to be a pretty decent closer that just kind of fell off. And uh, like you mentioned, Scott Casimir being there, it it was interesting. I, I don't know if this Olympics was as interesting because of the time difference that people just didn't really you know, make it a focal point. It's obviously during the regular season for baseball. I think we get a better glimpse at a world perspective with the World Baseball Classic. I really love the World Baseball Classic. And, and I would really hope that Team USA does what it did the most recent time and put out the best stars that they have for that because, you know, it's in the off offseason. Uh, yeah, I, I know there's the risk of injury, but you're representing your country. And I do think that while the Olympic Games obviously incredibly important, and maybe the Olympics and baseball not necessarily as important. So hopefully we can see some of our biggest names compete on the biggest stage in the World Baseball Classic when they have the chance to. But with, with this particular group, you know, they, they have a lot of decent pieces. And it, it was fun just to be able to see something, uh, you know, baseball being played in Japan. I mean, that, that's a really cool thing. And congratulations to Team Japan. They had a 21-year-old uh, Matsuzaka, I think it was, or Matsuzumi. Matsuzumi. That was absolutely dominant with the stick and he's only 21 years old so kind of keeps gives me an eye to to look out at some of those kids from japan that you know that is what they know uh so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah how cool would have been though if we did like to your point about having the four rosters obviously you can't during the middle of the mlb season but if we would have got to see like a three-game series where japan got to throw out like shohei otani kenta maeda and you darvish and then the u.s got to throw out i don't know like jacob Degrom. Uh, Max Scherzer, whoever you want, like Garrett Cole or uh, whatever, like collection of three USA. That would have been a lot of fun. That would be so cool. And I, and I think that that's the potential idea that they had when they started the World Baseball Classic in 2006, I believe. Um, and it hasn't come to fruition simply because players have sat out kind of similar to bowl games in football. They've just kind of sat back and said, well, you know, I don't want to risk injury. Well, the, the only thing is this. I, I get that. I get it but you're representing your country. And that's a pretty cool opportunity to be able to put on the USA jersey and say, I won a World Baseball Classic. I mean, Adam Jones is a prime example of what, what I loved about that World Baseball Classic. Makes a robbed, uh, robs a home run of Manny Machado. Um, you know, gets a standing ovation at Petco. Uh, we need more moments like what Adam Jones and Team USA had provided. So I, I hope we get that again in the next World Baseball Classic. All right, we're going to get on now to our caps off trade recaps. So we've had a little bit of time to digest the new locations of some of the biggest players that have been traded over. We've had a little over a week now to see who maybe has had a hot start in their new place or maybe who has taken a little bit longer to adjust. So we're going to do a little game here. It's a fantasy baseball related game with the players who were traded. It is called Drink or Dump. You're either dumping it out or you're drinking it. Now, this doesn't mean that, like, in theory, you might drink both of these. Like, I'm, you're going to have to pick one or the other. You have to give one drink, one dump. And it's not to say, again, like, in theory, you could drink both or want to dump both, but compared to each other is kind of the idea here. So we'll get this started. Your first one, and I'll answer after you, 
Chris Bryant being on the Giants or Joey Gallo on the Yankees? Who gets drunk and who gets dumped? Yeah, I mean, I drank Chris Bryant on this one. You, you, first of all, you've got the face of a guy that has won an MVP. He's won a World Series. He's still relatively young. He's going to a place where I think he fits in perfectly. Uh, you've already seen him make a stellar defensive play with the Giants. And he hit a home run, I believe, in his first hit with the Giants. So, I mean, uh, the guy clearly fits in well with that organization. He fits in beautifully in the lineup. I know everybody loved the idea of Joey Gallo with the short porch and right field with the Yankees. But my, my thing is this. I, I prefer a guy that I know is going to get on base constantly, both with hits uh, and walks. And Chris Bryant, for me, is a guy that I trust with the bat late in the game. Joey Gallo is a, a lot more of an Adam Dunn kind of setup for a player for me. And so I, I just trust – what Chris Bryant has had in his past. Chris Bryant's been a winner. Joey Gallo hasn't been on a team that's ever won. And so uh, that's where I go with that. I like Chris Bryant. Gallo has uh, kind of struggled since going over to the Yankees. Typically, he's a guy who, yeah, he's not going to hit for good average, but at least the on-base percentage is going to be there. And then obviously, you know, the slugging percentage is going to be there with the power. But um, not really coming around so far. Over the last 14 days, so this encompasses 11 games. This would be, I believe, a game or two before he got to the Yankees as well. He's hitting 143 with a 250 on base percentage. So he's cooling off a little bit. I still like the fit of being in New York. I just think Chris Bryant is a better player overall. So while I actually do like the fit of him being in New York, and I don't really think that Chris Bryant being in Chicago – like. To me, that's kind of a net neutral to what he was with in Chicago. Like, I get it. Oracle in San Francisco is thought of as a pitcher's bark, but ever since they moved the fences in last year and they enclosed some of the wind pockets, it's definitely not the same like when it was AT&T Park and we had Tim Lincecum 10 years ago where you remember that being like one of the best pitcher parks. Now I feel like it's maybe it's still slightly a pitcher's park, but it's, I feel like it's closer to average. And like you had Dusty Baker, not you, but the Astros manager <laughs> last week when they played each other, come into town and he called it like a home run box because he was just like, I never saw it like this when I was here. So I, I don't think it's like necessarily a park difference. I just think he's better. And like, if you look at um, like some rest of season projections for the two of them, um, the on-base percentage is projected to be similarly, but you're getting way more average out of Chris Bryant. Slugging percentage, you're probably getting a little bit more with Joey Gallo. Um, so it's really kind of just dependent, to be completely honest to me, on what your roster needs. If your roster needs power, go with Gallo. If it needs maybe some more of the other categories, then go with Chris Bryant. But overall, I'd probably lean Chris Bryant there with the drink and then dump Joey Gallo. But like I was saying earlier, this would be one where I would honestly probably just drink both. I like that. I like that. Okay, next up is a couple of middle infielders. Javier Baez is now on the Mets or Freddie Galvis, who is now on the Phillies. Yeah, I mean, this one's a pretty easy one for me. Uh, you know, even looking at the numbers of Galvis, first of all, he's on the IL. Uh, he goes to Philadelphia Phillies. He had played there in the past. He's returned home. Um, you know, Galvis is a fine player, but he's not somebody that, you know, I, I don't think carries a ton of fantasy value. He's 31 years old. Javier Baez still has value. I know he's been beat up a little bit recently after moving over to the, the Mets. Uh, but the fact that he's going to get possibly second base shortstop, all, all this eligibility long-term is going to be very helpful with him. And, um, I, I, I think it's a slam dunk. I mean, I'm going to be drinking Javier Baez, even if he continues to kind of hit the way he's done this year, which has been kind of inconsistent. He's still got the power numbers. Uh, he's going to drive in runs. Imagine Francisco Lindor in that lineup when healthy and 
seeing the two of them together, that's going to be pretty interesting to watch. So if both players are healthy, I don't know how much, like, I, I don't think there's as big of a difference as you might think. Um, I'm still probably the star power names are, uh, it, it makes it seem bigger than what it is when you look at the numbers. Yes, it does. And like Javier Baez, you know, he had some left hip, hip tightness. So we'll, we'll wait and see where that comes in. You hope it's not like an oblique injury or something like that. Um, and Freddie Galvis, you have the opportunity that, yes, he is injured right now, but like Javier Baez, for all we know, might end up on the IL tomorrow or in a couple days, whereas Freddie Galvis should be coming back soon. And that maybe changes it a little bit. So if you're in a dynasty league, I'd go with Javier Baez, even though I don't love the long-term aspects of Baez. He's still three years younger than Freddie Galvis. But in a one-year league, you can actually convince me to go with Freddie Galvis. I mean, uh, the guy's not going to give you as much pop overall, but he's going to give you similar, if not better, average and OBP numbers. And if you're telling me that he's going to be more available in the long run than Javier Baez is, and he's at a better hitter's park in Philadelphia than Baez is in New York. And like I said, if you're going to get an extra, I don't know, 10, 15 games out of him, out of him down the stretch, again, that's kind of dependent on the Baez injury there. Um, then I would probably lean Galvis, but yeah, I think overall I'll, I'll still drink Javier Baez and, and dump Freddie Galvis for now, kind of just pending um, that injury. So the next one is Jose Barrios on the Blue Jays or Kyle Gibson on the Phillies. Yeah. Um, I mean, both for keeper and long-term value. I personally, I, I know who Kyle Gibson's going to be facing in that division. It's not a strong division by any means. And that's, that's really what you're matching up against right here because on paper, your answer pretty obviously should be Jose Barrios long-term. Uh, Gibson's older. The consistency hasn't been there like it has been with Barrios. Uh, the, if you're in a one-year league, though, I could make an argument that Gibson makes more sense based off who he's going up against. He's on the best team, in my opinion, in that division. Um, and he's going up against teams that, quite frankly, have not put it together offensively, uh, that kind of don't have identities. So Gibson's been very good this year. With that in mind, though, I still like Barrios both in a one-year and in a keeper league long-term. If you're in a keeper league – it's pretty obvious to me I go Barrios. He's also been pitching just out of his mind lately after going to the Blue Jays. Uh, there's something to be said about the stuff that that kid has. I don't care if he's going up against the Rays, the Yankees, the Red Sox. doesn't matter to me. He still has got good enough stuff uh, to be able to make it through the same way that Kyle Gibson can uh, against the Miami Marlins. So, yeah, I, I, I know that there is obviously the idea of who you play in the division. Uh, but at the end of the day, I still think I go with the arm I trust more, the one that's younger, the one that I think has better stuff. And that would be Barrios. I agree. I go Barrios there. I uh, guess both of them have solid opportunities at getting wins. The way the Phillies are playing right now, you can honestly probably argue Gibson might have even better chances given that, like you said, with the divisional teams as opposed to who Barrios is going to be facing in the AL East. But both are going to have good chances to get wins. I just like Barrios' extra numbers. And the ability to get strikeouts is going to be at a higher rate for Barrios than Gibson. Blue Jays have a better pitcher's park than Gibson's going into with the Phillies. So I'll drink Barrios as well and dump Kyle Gibson there. The next one, we've got a reliever one. Craig Kimbrell got sent to the White Sox, which stunk for his value if you're in a saves-only league. If you're in a holds league, his value still probably drops a little bit just because of the leverage of the situation, but you're still getting something out of him. Or Ian Kennedy 
who is now on the Phillies and kind of undergoing a similar thing where he might not be the closer anymore. Yeah, I mean, this is all based off of numbers, based off of uh, what what we've seen over the course of the season. Craig Kimbrell's been the better reliever of the two. Kennedy's had a pretty decent season um, with the Rangers, but I will say just based off opportunity, if you are in a saves league, then I would go for Ian Kennedy um, just simply because Kennedy is probably going to find himself in a much more consistent uh, role or opportunity to get in that position. However, if you are in a holds and saves league, it's pretty simple for me. I go with Craig Kimbrell. He's going to get way more opportunities at holds. Um, that back end of the bullpen is obviously ridiculous, having Hendricks in the very end there in the ninth. But um, to be able to have Kimbrell come into those situations, that that's huge. I will say this, though. The Phillies are going to play a lot more important games in September, which is when you're going to need – these holds, these saves, whatever it may be. Uh, there's a very decent chance the White Sox will look a little different in September just based off the fact they have such a pretty huge lead right now in their division. They may not be gunning for it in the weeks that you really need them, uh, those players, to go off. That's the hardest part about fantasy baseball and head-to-head leagues is the fact that once you hit the last couple weeks of September, the teams that are throwing it in, well, they completely throw it in. They throw the towel in. They'll rest their guys that they find important. Uh, and for the White Sox, it may be that, you know, Kimbrell gets uh, an appearance once every three to four days just to keep his arm loose. But they may not put him in necessarily important situations. The White Sox may not be gunning to try and win the last couple weeks of the season because they've already clinched the division by that point. So that's something to keep in mind. It, it is a hard one. That's speculative. It, it comes down to me of keeper league wise. I think that Kimbrell has some more value there. Um, and then when it comes to obviously if you have just a saves league one year, uh, yeah, that's the one time I think I would take Kennedy. I, yeah. Saves and holds league. Give me Kimbrell because you're going to probably get better ratios like ERA and whip and K per nine out of Kimbrell. And so if you ever save and holds league, then a hold is worth the same amount as a save in theory. Now, there is the argument to be had that holds are easier to find on the open market than saves in free agency, which is true. But I think Kimbrell's better at those other things to balance it out. Now, if you are in a saves-only league, I think it's hands down Ian Kennedy because with Kennedy, like I said, I don't know if he's going to be the long-term closer. His first three appearances, he did not get saves, but his last two appearances, he did get saves for the Phillies. So does that mean he's trending in the spot where he is going to be the long-term closer? I don't know what to think of Jose Alvarado. He's kind of untrustworthy. Sometimes he'll just walk in four straight uh, or walk four straight guys and walk in a run seemingly. And he's just so wild sometimes. So if you're in a saves league, give me Kennedy. Otherwise, give me Craig Kimbrell. Okay, this is going to be one that tugs at your heartstrings. <laughs> Max Scherzer on the Dodgers or Trey Turner on the Dodgers. You have to dump one. Yeah, I mean, honestly, so if we're talking a one-year league, um, this <laughs> this one is brutal. because yeah, Dynasty, it's clearly Turner. Yeah, it's it's – Obviously, you got to go with Trey Turner in the dynasty. There, there's no doubt about that. He's one of the best players in baseball. In a one-year league, it's very curious to me because you're talking about two top-end talents right here. I mean, we're, in a one-year league, you're seeing them being picked roughly in the same spot. You might see Turner being picked a little bit earlier than Scherzer. Uh, it just really depends on the format that you have. I, in my opinion, it's totally situational based off what your roster construction looks like. If you are very pitching heavy and you need some, you know, 
power, some uh, speed, then Trey Turner's the obvious choice. If if you have a bunch of guys like, uh, you know, it, it's hard actually off the top of my head to even think of active guys with speed right now because uh, Acuna and Tatis Jr. are both hurt. You, you might just have to pick Trey Turner regardless because uh, the, the exclusive value that he has in the stolen base position is – it, it, it seems exclusive. I, I don't really think that there's anybody that offers that same feature, uh, but I would say if your pitching needs help, if you really need to improve those categories and it's something that you can tighten up to get you wins, like if it's not something that you just get a good pitcher and Hey, your categories, you might win, but Hey, it doesn't help enough. Then maybe you go Scherzer, but I, I'm going to lean towards Trey Turner in this one, just because I think that he offers the element uh, that no other player really in the league that's active right now can offer. And that's, having power steals and average. I mean, he is a true five category player. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't see the prime Hanley Ramirez is as much anymore, right? Like this is what Hanley Ramirez used to do. Uh, that was one of my favorite fantasy players. We saw David Wright kind of do this back in the day. Chase Utley did this. You just don't see players like Trey Turner exist anymore. And he's going to score more runs also with that Dodgers lineup uh, hitting at the top with Mookie and uh, Max Muncy, Justin Turner hitting behind him. Uh, Max Scherzer is going to be the same pitcher regardless. You know, he's going to be the same pitcher, whether he's on the Dodgers or the Nationals. He'll get more wins. So that's, that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, it actually is a little scary with the quality starts. If you do quality starts, you know, late in the season, if the Dodgers find a way um, to, you know, maybe excel and, and secure a playoff spot earlier, Dave Roberts could be a little lenient on him and kind of hold his arm a little bit more for the, you know, October run. So I would say the safer pick here is Trey Turner. Yeah, I mean, I'll give the cop-out answer first, which is – well, if you need the pitching, go with Max Scherzer. But if you need the hitting, right. go with Trey Turner. Right. But I think I'm going to lean Trey Turner just for this reason. Steals can be so hard to come by. And there is a part of me that maybe is a little worried that the Dodgers typically don't steal a ton of bases. But also, like, if you have the speed, they will let you. Like, Chris Taylor gets to run a decent amount. Um, and they're bottom three in the MLB in stolen base attempts per game. But is that a product of just – from they don't want to steal or is it a product that they don't have uh, more guys like Trey Turner? I, I think that when you have a guy like Trey Turner, you're going to take advantage of that. So I'm not ultra worried about that, but it's just, it's kind of funny, like looking on like baseball reference, like the year by year stolen base leaders. And you go into like the eighties through like the two thousands and most parts you're you're leading the MLB in steals around 60 to 100 and then you start getting in the 2000s to 2010s and for the most part you're leading the league in steals around 50 and then you get into the kind of to the 2015s and you're starting to see it drop to being in like uh the 45 to, to 60 range on the higher end and then all of a sudden as of 2018 it's like in the 40s 2019 it's in like the high 30s low 40s and then now the stolen base leader in the National League only has 23 with Fernando Tatis and Whit Merrifield has 29, which he'll probably get above 40, I would imagine. But like steals are so valuable now because less teams are doing it more and more so. And the fact that Trey Turner will steal you bases, I think makes him ultra valuable toward the end. And it's not just like there are some years where you might have somebody steal 
you know, like one of the early leaders a couple of years ago was Malik Smith, who got you 46 steals, but he's not doing anything else for you. And Trey Turner. That was the first one that came to my mind when you were saying that. I mean, there's something about Malik Smith and D. Strange Gordon that all they did in their entire fantasy value was stolen bases. Our good friend that was on this show, Jared Oliva, if he can carve out a starting job, uh, you're going to realize that he's got that, that dimension of stolen bases. Uh, but he's not going to offer you necessarily pop. And so it's, it's if you need the stolen bases, like a guy like Jared could actually offer pretty, some pretty significant value. He's still got to carve out that role, though, in order to get that, right? Yeah, and so that's why Trey Turner is so valuable because he does all the rest of the things well in addition to getting those steals. And you don't have to worry about playing somebody who's going to tank your average. All right, uh, Andrew Heaney is now on the Yankees or Danny Duffy on the Dodgers. Uh, this this one's pretty tough for me because to be <laughs> to be honest like I would honestly advise just dump dump uh I I do really like Danny Duffy um I think Duffy has probably the more respectable stuff I am one of those that is the least bit of an Andrew Heaney believer I do not believe in him in the slightest uh I've owned him probably three times and he has blown up on me every single time I've owned him uh, you know how sometimes you'll just have that one or two experiences with a player and you never will touch them again. That's me with Andrew Heaney. And so I basically, you, you could throw any pitcher's name out there and compare it to Andrew Heaney. And I'm going to say the other pitcher. The only problem is Danny Duffy. He may not even have the opportunity to start. So it's almost like, do you even have the value uh, for either one of these? I, I just, if you have Danny Duffy and you have, you know, the chance to trade him right now, I'd advise to do it. Uh, find a Dodger fan in your league that doesn't pay a ton of attention. Say, man, they just acquired this guy. You know, they just brought in Cole Hamels too. So I, I it's really hard to tell what these Dodgers are doing. Kind of concerns me a little bit uh, based off of what does this mean about Tony Gonsolin, and Clayton Kershaw's health? Um, are the Dodgers just going to try and, you know, keep their pitchers, uh, you know, pitch counts down going into October. I don't know. Dave Roberts always has to feel like he has to do things a different way than everybody else. And so it makes this one really tough. I, I would do a dump dump for both, but if I have to choose one, I'm going to go with Duffy just because at the very least, I think that he'll get some starts and he'll have the chance to win. Andrew Heaney has no value to me. I agree. I've never really been a big Heaney guy, and now being in New York doesn't help that. So I'm going to give you a little thing. I actually kind of like Danny Duffy's value now with the Dodgers. I know he's probably not going to start, but there's a part of me that thinks his value might go up now. Now, it depends on the role that he would be working. Is he just going to be an opener? Is he going to be somebody who follows an opener, potentially, where he's going to be the first one in line to try to get a win? Um, could he be like a late inning relief? Could they use him like they used Julio Urias last year in the postseason where he's kind of being moved around? Like maybe he is an opener one day, another day he's getting a hold, another day he's getting a save, another day he's getting a win. And he's kind of that perfect utility guy. And I think some of those players get underrated in fantasy because they can help you out in the ratios. And Danny Duffy for a moment in time with the Royals, he had struggled early on in his career as a starter. So they moved him to the bullpen. And as a bullpen reliever, he was actually really good. He ended up in 30 appearances, had a 2.5 ERA, a 1.06 whip, 11.3 K per nine. He was used in multi-inning relief roles. I think he could end up actually being a valuable piece out of the bullpen. If you're in a holds and saves league, I could see him getting a couple saves here or there. I could see him getting a couple wins here or there as a multi-inning reliever. I think he actually does have value for me. 
to be to kind of go off of that too because that's a great point um if you're in a standard you know yahoo league where it has starting pitcher relief pitcher that will mean that Duffy will get starting pitcher and a relief pitcher eligibility. So you could put him in, as we like to call it, the SPRP uh, position. Yeah, SPRP. And uh, so Duffy is the perfect SPRP uh, to possibly help you win your league. If, if that is the role that they put him in, because Derek makes a great point with that. Uh, and the Dodgers have had issues with their bullpen, specifically with the lefty reliever that they trusted last year, Victor Gonzalez. He has not looked the same. David Price has been just incredibly inconsistent. I think you can't really – you know, harp on him too much because his role has been impossible to figure out. Uh, you know, so to me, if Duffy is given a set role in the bullpen and you have the SPRP and the holds, yeah, there is value there. And so that's when you do hold on to him. So a very good point by Derek right there. I think it's just a buy low too, because everybody knows they're probably not going to use him as a starter. So you can probably get him for cheaper than maybe you'll get in terms of value. Okay. Let's get on to two guys who are for sure relievers. Uh, Richard Rodriguez now on the Braves. Joaquin Soria is now on the Blue Jays. Which one are you drinking? Which one are you dumping? I'm drinking Richard Rodriguez. The way that he pitched uh, down the stretch, even with the Pirates before getting traded, uh, I think it's for real. I also like the fact that, you know, it, Will Smith is probably their set closer right now. So it's another one of those weird situations of uh, are they going to stick with him, put Richard there? It, it is a hard one to figure out. Um, Will Smith, obviously, last year, in the playoffs was more of their lefty specialist kind of guy while Mark Melanson was the closer. So I have a gut feeling that they're going to end up transitioning Rodriguez to more of their set closer role. It just feels likely. Um, the Blue Jays have a lot of tough games ahead of them. And I just don't like the matchup in the division. I, I That one scares me a little bit. And it's funny because I kind of have to retract my words on Barrios. The difference is – Barrios has great stuff. Soria has decent stuff. And, and uh, that that plays differently for me late in ball games in a tough division where you're going to have a lot of high stress games. For the Braves, I think they're going to have a lot of close games where the opportunities will be there. Um, and so obviously the Braves offense is not the same without Acuna, Ozuna, um, but they made those additions of the outfielders. And so there's going to be at least some offensive production and, and they're trending in the right direction right now. So I, they're going to have to play a lot of important games that I think could be close and therefore more opportunities. I just like Rodriguez better for that. Yeah, this is uh, another one for me where, okay, if you're in a saves only league, then maybe you take the risk with Soria instead of Rodriguez. Cause so far through four appearances with his new team for Rich Rod, he has gotten one hold and zero saves um, with Soria. He got injured a couple days ago so we don't really totally know his role. He only got to appear in one game for the Blue Jays. But maybe you take the risk if you're really in dire need of saves because he's injured right now, because he's not a guy who is seen as one of these elite relievers. Maybe you take the risk if you need saves and just try to buy him cheap right now for the stretch run. Um, but if you're in a holds league as well, or if you don't really need saves and maybe you're just looking at ratios or something, yeah, definitely Richard Rodriguez on the Braves for me on that one. Okay, this one is interesting. You have two guys who currently are working back from the IL. Eddie Rosario with the Braves, Kyle Schwarber with the Red Sox. Who are you drinking? Who are you dumping? Well, this is a hard one, and I, I'm going to have to turn to Twitter here real quickly because there is a report 
uh, on the day of recording, we recorded this on uh, on a Sunday. Normally, we record uh, on Wednesdays. Uh, obviously, a little bit different with the Olympic schedule. But uh, according to Jen McCaffrey, uh, she says sources confirm Kyle Schwarber has suffered a minor setback with a left groin strain in the midst of his rehab from a right hamstring strain. The setback isn't expected to be significantly delaying his timetable for return, but nevertheless, that is concerning, and, and it is concerning. And um, you know, I. There's something to be said about what Schwarber has done this year. He's obviously been a huge impact bat for the Washington Nationals, a huge breakout. You know, it's nothing shocking. I think Schwarber's decline, uh, maybe that was partially because of the catcher experience. Obviously, he got hurt. It, there's so many different things you could turn to for his decline. But his re-ascension uh, with the Nationals, I think that, you know, I, I, I really do buy Schwarber. Um, Eddie Rosario is an interesting one for me because – He's always been a decent hitter, but uh, the way that the Indians kind of tra- treated um, how they handled him, that was kind of bizarre to me a little bit. I don't, I don't know about you, uh, or I should say the Twins uh, initially uh, in the offseason. There's something that they saw. There's something that they knew that we didn't know about him. And um, I also don't like the fact that Rosario is going to have to compete with the multiple bats that the Braves acquired. That's obviously they have Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, um, and then they brought in uh, Jorge Soler. So those are four bats uh, for three spots. And to me, Kyle Schwarber has a pretty set role if he returns healthy with the Red Sox. His production was better this year. Um, and I just think he's got a more carved out set up role if he does return. I'd rather take the risk. I know he's hurt, but uh, would rather have Schwarber. Yeah, that, that's kind of the risk there. It is the idea of, well, you might get a few more games from Eddie Rosario, and with Schwarber, you know if he, like, he's going to slot in over Franchi Cordero, who is always like the greatest AAA hitter and just <laughs> hits 98th percentile in terms of every, average exit velocity, but is still hitting like 180 or something. It doesn't make I, any sense. No, it does not. I actually think I lean Eddie Rosario here. It's not just the fact that, I don't know, maybe Rosario can come up and play you a few more games than Schwarber can, but I think he can crack into that outfield. Like, I get it. Jorge Soler has been really good ever since he got traded over there. Um, Jock Peterson, uh, another guy who he's a lefty like Rosario, so you would think that um, you're not going to have an advantage over him in terms of just, like, splits against a certain handedness. But Adam Duvall hasn't been ultra – I don't know. He wasn't that good with the Marlins when he was there earlier this year. He had a 755 OPS, so he was, like, you know, above average – solid um but he hasn't been too good with the Braves it's not that I think he's gonna be in front of any of those guys day to day but I think when you look at it like if you told me all of those outfielders played three out of every four games and it was just a constant rotation like one guy sits out I think that's something that's very doable and I think Eddie Rosario is a really good hitter and the fact that maybe you don't have the setback there with Schwarber I think I might actually lean Rosario just because it feels like there may be a little more concreteness, I guess, if that's a word, to the end of the regular season for him. The, the yeah. one concern, the one concern I have with Eddie Rosario. So Eddie, Eddie is also like like ninety nine percent of the players in the MLB. It feels like is on the IL right now, um, and so he's been out since July. And uh, the the report that I'm seeing on Rosario at this time too is that. Uh, he'll be sidelined for a few more weeks. Uh, this was actually as of uh, July the 30th. So haven't seen a more recent report. Um, I'll probably turn to Twitter on this one here. But uh, they had said as of July 30th that he'll be sidelined for a few more weeks with an abdominal strain. But once he's healthy, he'll help the Braves make that playoff push. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know what? Maybe the opportunity will be there for Rosario. You make a really good point on that. 
Uh, I just, you know, both of them are hurt. We don't know the time frame that, uh, you know, either one will necessarily return at. I just like the bat that was consistent this year. I, the problem I had with Eddie Rosario, you know, he is a great bat uh, from a few years ago, but this year, I mean, his numbers, his stat line, he's not slugging. He's not getting on base nearly as much sub 300 average of 250. It's just hard for me to buy him right now. Uh, but of course a change of scenery can change the difference. So you just never know. It, it, it's one of those though. Derek makes a good point. These two are probably pretty good comps in terms of like you're down the stretch run for a keeper. I would consider possibly running with Eddie Rosario. I, I think that, Rosario may have the better keeper value, uh, but for a one-year league, I think Schwarber is pretty much my set decision. Yeah, uh, I just looked, and I found something from CBS Sports August 4th um, that Rosario had been taking batting practice and that he should be starting um, up in a couple days for a rehab assignment. So that's there, whereas with Schwarber, you have the uh, possible setback. Okay, Anthony Rizzo is on the Yankees. He just tested positive for COVID-19, so that could sideline him for – who knows how long, or Starling Marte, who is now in the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, I've always been a believer in Starling Marte. It doesn't really matter where he plays. That guy still produces. Um, he's uh, kind of in that mix right there with Trey Turner, actually, uh, for stolen bases. Just the, the fact that he's kind of got the exclusive hand on that. Anthony Rizzo, I've, I've owned shares of Anthony Rizzo in the past. I like the fit in New York a lot better. Um, I think that the lineup suits him pretty well. And I think the location, everything makes sense for him. He's a great piece to have, but Starling Marte, the numbers that this guy puts up, I mean, I don't know how you could say you wouldn't want this over anything that Rizzo produces. I mean, Marte with 28 stolen bases to the day of recording, he hits over 300 consistently. Uh, the A's lineup's pretty good. They score a lot of runs. They're not boom and bust as much. And also with the Ramon Laureano, situation uh basically Marte's carved out I mean you knew he was gonna have an everyday role no matter what but he's gonna probably have to play literally every game if the A's want to win that division right they're gonna play important games the whole way down the stretch so will the Yankees uh, but I just think that Marte is gonna have to have a lot of clutch at bats the opportunities will be there for him I don't know I I prefer Marte no matter what in this situation yeah, I think, honestly, if Rizzo didn't test positive, I would probably actually prefer Rizzo. I, I love the fit in New York. He's really getting hot right now. And just like you look at the rest of the season projections, they're really, really good for Anthony Rizzo. But I am worried about the testing positive for COVID thing. Like, uh, who knows? Is he only out for a week? Is he out for two, three weeks and trying to come back? We don't know. And that uncertainty makes it probably lean towards Starling Marte for me. You're going to get a better average for Marte on base is probably going to be pretty similar. The one caveat here is if, if you need power, then just stick with Anthony Rizzo over Marte there. Cause Rizzo is going to give you more home runs. He's going to give you a better slugging percentage. Marte will give you possibly better other stuff. Um, he'll give you the steals if you need steals. So there's kind of the, the categorical way of looking at it, but given the Rizzo uncertainty with COVID and, and not knowing what's going to happen there, I'd go with Marte as well. This uh, might shock you actually, but uh, Anthony Rizzo is actually slugging and is on per se on base percentages also less than what Marte is featuring right now. Marte's on base percentage is 407, which is not shocking. He's very disciplined at the plate. Um, so I guess it's also what you like, like Derek kind of mentioned there. It's what you value 
Um, I'm a big man of on base percentage and slugging. That, that's something that's huge for me. Uh, normally, though, I would assume Rizzo would be the guy that slugs more because Derek mentioned it. it, it Rizzo's going to hit you way more home runs. So if it comes down to, yes, I am missing power, then yeah, don't let the slugging percentage necessarily fool you because Rizzo's got more over the fence pop and his opportunity there is going to be way higher than Marte ever will have in the huge Oakland stadium. Um, so yeah, that, I guess that's what it comes down to is unless you're really, really missing power, um, Marte's the move. Yeah. And I'll say this, like, if you look at rest of season projections, which factor in what he's done in the past, which factor in his, um, you know, like baseball savant numbers, like by looking at the bad X, like projections the rest of the way has Rizzo at a 482 slugging 365 on base versus Marte at a 342 on base and a 436 slugging. But again, Marte to this point has outperformed those numbers. So who's to think that he can't keep doing that for the last two months of the season. Okay. Right. The last one we have for you here are two relievers that used to be on the Cubs. Ryan Tapera is now on the White Sox and Andrew Chafin is now on the A's. Whose fit do you like better? Yeah, I like Chafin's better. Um, I think the opportunities are much higher for him there. Um, obviously, you look at both a fantasy and real life situation. I think I think Chafin's the better pitcher of the two. He's had a great season up to this point. Um, the uh, the one thing about the A's bullpen, there's never really been much consistency. I would say in terms of who's getting the saves and who's who's getting the holds at the end of the day. The only thing that's a little concerning right now, though, is Chafin hasn't had a save or a hold uh, since he's been a part of Oakland. Um, as for Tapera, you know, he may get more opportunities for holds. I don't know. I, I, I would say probably the same amount of opportunities for holds. Um, but Tapera hasn't logged a save or a hold either. So if you're in a saves league – you probably see the value there of Chafin. If you're in a holds and saves league, I probably still go with Chafin. He had uh, one of the highest holds total and might've been even the highest. I'm going to have to check down that. Uh, but he was constantly thrown in that situation uh, to be able to kind of finish out the seventh, eighth inning when he was, was in Chicago. And so uh, now being in Oakland, obviously it's a different situation. Um, but yeah, Chafin at this time of recording with 17 holds, uh, that ranks him one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh overall. Um, and so, you know, I would be shocked if the A's didn't use him any other way. Um, and then obviously when you look at the bullpen for the White Sox, it's loaded with Hendricks and Kimbrell. And so the opportunities of that, I, I just, I think I'd go with Chafin in a division where he's going to have to be used a lot more. Um, and so that's going to be something to keep in mind. Lou Trevino though ha has been really good. I mean, a one nine two ERA, uh, he has 17 saves. So my guess is Chapin's going to end up probably having more of that swing role. Uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of uh, an interesting one to monitor, but Chapin's my pick. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue with Tapera, it's not just that he doesn't have the avenue for saves when you have both Hendricks and Kimbrell, but you're also losing out on possibly even holds opportunities when you have other really good relievers in there um, between Michael Kopech, who – has really been good in, in kind of that like swingman role so far this season. Um, what you've seen so far from Garrett Crochet has shown a lot of potential that he could maybe come in on a day and steal something from you. Aaron Bummer has been good out of the bullpen. So he has a lot of obstacles to overcome. I think Chafin 
he's going to start getting some holds here eventually. That's just kind of odd to me that, yeah, he hasn't even gotten a hold. But at the very least, there is an easier path toward him getting to the saves or getting to the holds than Tapera has. So I'd definitely go with Andrew Chafin uh, in that one. Okay, last segment is our shotgun six-pack. All six of these are going to be fired off right here. World Series, biggest threats. Give me six teams, your shotgun six-pack, that you think are the biggest threat to win the World Series right now. Okay, I go – a lot of these are going to be from the National League. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Giants, I think they're legit. I think they're real. I think they're scary. They've got the magic that they had back in 2012, 2010, 2014. I mean, like, there's something weird about going to the 2020s, and now it's an odd year. Uh, that maybe it's quote unquote an odd year and that's going to be the Giants new thing. I don't know. Giants are one of them. You got to go with their rival, the Dodgers, the Dodgers making these ads for Scherzer and Turner. They're no joke. Um, That team is literally an all-star and hall of fame team. It's crazy. I mean, if you look at that roster on paper, there's no reason why any other team should beat them. And just for that reason, they have to be in this mix. Oh, and they're pretty dang good as is. Uh, The third one on my list would be the Milwaukee Brewers. That pitching rotation can shut anybody down. Um, It is a scary, scary rotation they have over there. Uh, Woodruff can beat anybody in this league. I don't care what you say. Um, You have a DeGrom-Woodruff matchup. Good luck either way, right? And so we're probably not going to end up seeing that, I don't think. Uh, But, yeah, I think that the Brewers are legit. Willie Adamas deserves some MVP recognition for what he's been able to do. Wild. (laughs) He has just been insane lately. So um, that's, that's my third pick. Uh, my fourth pick would be the Houston Astros. I don't think that you can count them out by any means uh, uh, with the way that they've been playing this year. I mean, the bats are alive. Alex Bregman's been on the IL. He's supposed to return shortly. Uh, the addition of Kendall Graveman, I think, was pretty great. It's interesting that they traded Abraham Toro. And, you know, I was one of those to dog on that move. And all of a sudden, Abraham Toro is like tearing it up with the Mariners. But it's not like he was doing that with Houston. So that wasn't a huge loss for them. It's just kind of surprising a little weird situation actually but but the Astros are very much a contender in that situation my fifth one on the list and this is when it gets tough uh my sixth one will be you'll know in a sec Uh, my fifth one has to be the Tampa Bay Rays I know that they don't have Tyler Glass now um you could make an argument that the Red Sox maybe are built better because they got Chris Sale coming back this is probably the hardest one uh just in the sense that you know I I am pretty close between the two teams and I really like what the Red Sox have, but I think that the Rays, I'm a little more confident with the, the fact that they've been there. They've got a pretty stout lineup across the board and they just know how to win. Kevin Cash is a winner. He finds ways to do it. And uh, I mean, the Rays as a recording are eight and two in their last 10 games. So uh, they've got a huge series coming up though with the Red Sox speaking of which. So, that might change my opinion. I could sound like an idiot in a week from now. Who knows? But that's number five on my list. Number six, though, is actually – and the reason why I put them last because they're my number one pick for the scariest team to win the World Series. I've said it from the very start of the year. I'm going to stick with who I say it with, and it's the Chicago White Sox. I, I'm frightened. As a Dodgers fan, I am frightened by this team. The fact that they were winning games left and right without Eloy, without Luis Robert – um Andrew Vaughn is all of a sudden on the scene hitting well that's the last thing this league needed is to have a a rookie that all of a sudden is putting it together already uh Luis Roberts expected to come back in the next week here Eloy just hit a three-run shot I'm pretty sure on the day of recording so you know that he's going to figure it out by September 
or October. And then we've talked about it this entire show, that back end of the bullpen. If you are losing to this team in the seventh inning, good luck. I mean, to is pretty good. Uh, he's, I wouldn't say he's going to be the lights out guy. That's going to shut you down that I'd be like, man, oh, to in, we're done. But I do say that about Kimbrell. And I definitely say that also about Hendricks. So uh, the eighth and the ninth inning are scary. Seventh inning is no slouch. Um, oh, and let's not forget that rotation includes a Carlos Rodon. That's been absolutely filthy this year. Lance Lynn's been incredible. Um, I just have a hard time seeing teams beat this team because that lineup is so dang good across the board and the pitching is incredible now I, the white Sox to me are the scariest team because they put it all together they have the names they have the pieces they have everything uh and they even had tony Larusa run out or attempt to run out on the field to argue a call uh so maybe he actually does have their backs which is something we were concerned about early in the season uh yeah white Sox are my scariest team out of this group Okay, so I'm going to change this up a little. Like, I'll, I'll, Dodgers, clearly, they won it last year. Houston, clearly, with the way they mash. The Chicago White Sox, 100% agree with you there. Uh, here's where I'm going to differ a little bit. I'm not going to choose the Giants. I'm a little worried wow. right now about the starting pitching. Um, they are kind of limping to the finish line. Anthony DeSclafani just went on the IL for arm fatigue. Kevin Gossman just – had a couple bad starts. He bounced back against the Diamondbacks, but pretty much everybody bounces back against the Diamondbacks right now. So that's something I'm waiting for. And when you look at their staff, this was questions we had in the offseason. They have a lot of guys who typically don't pitch a lot of innings. So what's going to happen when they get asked to do that? And right now you might be seeing kind of the negatives of that. They didn't go out and get some starting pitching help. Um, it, the trade deadline, I think that might come back to haunt them. San Diego Padres, I – do not love the way that you've seen a bunch of guys get injured or you've seen guys like Blake Snell um, kind of regress. You Darvish has regressed a little bit as the season has gone on and you had the injuries, guys like Fernando Tatis. Don't love that. So for my final three, I'll go with the Rays. You won the pennant last year. You have all the bullpen arms and the pitching that you need. I can see Wander Franco coming up and having a big postseason. Love the Brewers with their pitching staff. So those are my five, Dodgers, Astros, White Sox, Rays, Brewers. The sixth one is where I'm going to get interesting. Like I said, um, Giants and Padres, not going to do that. And the other thing with the Giants and Padres, while I'm not picking them here, is they're going to have to go through, like one of them is going to have to beat either the other in the wild card or the Dodgers in the wild card. And then if you get through that, you have to beat the other one or the Dodgers in a best of five. So that roadblock makes it a little tougher. Red and Sox you have to beat the Brewers probably too. You're pro you might. You yes. might have to beat the Brewers. Yeah, the path is really tough. So that's why I'm not taking them. Um, Mets are struggling a little right now. Red Sox are tanking right now. I kind of want to go with the Yankees. How funny would it be if the Yankees, after all this talk about we should sell, we're terrible this year, this was actually the year they got over the hump. But here's the team I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with a little bit deeper of a sleeper. The Philadelphia yeah, Phillies. They are on fire right now. They are. I don't think I gave enough credence, me personally, to like how good they could line up in a postseason series now. Um, just from a lineup perspective, like Bryce Harper, Gene Segura, JT Riomuto, Reese Hoskins, Andrew McCutcheon, that's a really good fivesome right there at the top of your order. And then like guys like Odubel Herrera, um, who knows? I could see like a guy like Travis Jankowski just having like a good postseason out of nowhere, even though he's not like – the most amazing play or something, but the pitching staff, you can line up one, two, three. It's not an ultra deep pitching staff, but when you get in the postseason, gets condensed, 
You go with Zach Wheeler as your number one. Yeah, I mean, he might be the front runner for the Cy Young if Jacob deGrom stays hurt. Um, number two, you have Aaron Nola, who hasn't had the season that I think a lot of people were hoping for after he's shown so much potential and had some really good seasons. But could he turn that back on in the playoffs to the guy that we've seen in years past? Yes. Um, now you have Kyle Gibson, who has pitched well since coming over to the Phillies. And in addition to that, was really good with the Rangers. And then Zach Eflin as your number four, like that's a solid number four. Then you can move guys like Vince Velasquez or whatever to strengthen your bullpen, which that might be a little bit of a question. I kind of like this Phillies team. If they can stay hot, take that into the postseason, maybe you uh, can make some noise in the postseason. So that'll be my sixth and final theme. It's an interesting – and honestly, I, the moment that you were starting to preview it, I just knew that's the direction you were going to go. It, it, because, you know, I had to consider the Phillies as well. Bryce Harper is putting up an MVP-type season right now. And I don't I, – it, it's crazy because, you know, for the past however many years, the MLB has used Bryce Harper as, like, one of the key faces in the game, right? And for whatever reason, it just feels like this year – correct me if I'm wrong or if you feel, feel differently, Derek – but it feels like we never hear about Bryce Harper. I'm not really sure why that is. I feel like maybe the MLB has just kind of gotten over him. It's bizarre. Uh, but this is one of the best seasons he's ever put together. And it's like the quietest, great Bryce Harper season. It really is strange to me. And uh, they do have a really impressive lineup. Odubel Herrera returning and doing what he's been doing lately has been impressive. Uh, Segura is always a scary at-bat no matter what. He's one of the best in the league at – you know, fighting off pitches, deep in counts, getting base hits. He, he's an on-base percentage machine at his top of the level. Um, I'd be curious, though. I, I'm a little concerned about that bullpen still. I know that they acquired Ian Kennedy. Uh, it's just not a very deep bullpen for me, and that's why I didn't pick them, was because the difference for me between a team like the Rays that you had mentioned in your group, and that was my kind of last in the six. Uh, because if you guys didn't catch on, the White Sox were my number one scariest team. Um, I, I would say the difference between a team like the Rays and the Phillies, which ironically enough faced each other in 2008 uh, in the World Series. Um, fun facts. Uh, I, I just like the Rays bullpen better, and that may have been the only reason why that put them over the hump. But I, I do agree. I think the Phillies are for real. I would be curious to see – what a matchup would look like for them in a seven-game potential series. Because, as you mentioned, their top three starters are very good. Um, there's no doubt about that. And I, I know Nola struggled, but I would not want to face him ever. I would never say, oh, please let me face Aaron Nola. On any given day, that guy can shut you down. What can't happen is I would not say the same about a guy like Zach Eflin, who already is on the IL right now. Uh, and so currently the Phillies fourth starter is Ranger Suarez. So I just, it's a, maybe a lack of depth for me right there. Um, they traded away Spencer Howard, which was interesting to me. Uh, I, I wasn't, I was a little surprised that was going to be the cost for them in order to acquire uh, Kyle Gibson, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, and also they acquired Ian Kennedy in that deal, by the way, important detail to throw. I just don't know if the depth's there. That's my big issue, but uh, are the Phillies a legitimate contender? Yes, I do believe so. And, I do believe they're going to win the division on top of that. Yeah, and to be clear, like I would still pick the Dodgers or the Brewers ahead of them, but I think you have questions with the Giants starting pitching. I think with the Padres, you have questions about maybe the health, and who knows, maybe the starting pitching. If Darvish and Snell struggle down the finish line, you have more injuries or whatnot. So I don't know. They, like Odds-wise, I wouldn't peg them ahead of 
the Giants or Padres. It's just the path might be tougher for those teams. So I just kind of like that as a dark horse with run. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Booze and Baseball. Thank you for tuning in. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody about it. And don't forget to give us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Audible, wherever you listen to Booze and Baseball. Give us a follow social media at Booze and Baseball. Email us, boozeandbaseball at gmail.com if you got anything for us to review, got a trade you want some advice on, got something you want us to just talk about. Thanks to Mixkit for the stock music. Thank you to Medcave Merch for our awesome coasters. And we got these new booze. They are sweet. Oh, yeah. They shine in the light, and they keep your table from getting that moisture all over it from drinking your nice ice-cold beer in the summer. Drink responsibly. Have a good one. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Later.